All right. Welcome to Parallax Lectures. I'm your host, Tom Mark. Um, this is the, I think, sixth episode of uh, this fairly new format. Um, our guest speaker, our guest lecturer today is Professor Raoul Eschemann. Uh, he's a Slavicist and he teaches uh, at the, um, I hope I get, I get that right, um, at the university in, in uh, uh, Munich. And he's the author, author of several books on performatism, a topic uh, which he's about to speak um, today. So I welcome um, Raoul Eschelmann. Would you please join in? Welcome. Can you, can you um, click on the microphone button so we can hear you? Um, I'm not hearing you. Okay. Yeah, now, we, now we've got it. Now we've got it. Okay. Perfect. So uh, How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm <laughs> uh, obviously in a virtual room. These are the virtual halls of the Ludwig Maximilians Universität in Munich. Right. I'm, of course, actually at home right. uh, in the time of uh, COVID. And I'm very happy to be, to be here. In the south of Germany, you're coming from. In the south of Germany. But you're not actually a German, right? You're coming from the United States or? or... It's a very long story, but to make the story short, I would say that I was uh, raised in America, but that I am uh, what is called a, um, a, a, an in inlands, uh, I'm an inlander in terms of education. I've uh, studied, I studied, did my MA, PhD and Habilitation in Germany, and I've lived in Germany for uh, over 40 years. Right, right. And you, you, um, you are, you are a Slavicist. So how, yes. how does that re relate to, to performatism? Is there a connection there or is that a, a separate, separate uh, field of study? Um, it, uh, it, it overlaps. I, I started out with, uh, with, I started out studying a, a Russian, Viktor Pelevin, who was a, a kind of a Buddhist, a kind of a crazy Buddhist. And that led me to the idea that what he was doing was something that was, was more universal. That it was something that wasn't just confined to, uh, to Russian literature or to him. And that led me on to uh, basically to, to, to the whole notion of, of performatism. Right. So you uh, will give a lecture today. What is it about? Uh, it's about performatism. In other words, right. it's an attempt just to, to give an overview of, uh, of the theory itself what it is, what it is not, this is also important, and also to eventually to tie it in a little bit with, uh, with the social issues, with, uh, with the problems of globalization. Right, okay, perfect. So how that will work, I will make you now the, the host. You will have okay. your lecture, and uh, after that we can have like a, like a discussion or Q&A, or like an, we can just be open about what will happen and see how that all goes. Would that be okay for you? That's okay for me. I assume I'll disappear from the screen and that what you will now... No, I disappear from the screen. I make you, you now, I, I, uh, make you now the host. Okay. Uh, and now you have the floor. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. So I'll uh, start my PowerPoint presentation, I think, which uh, uh, you can uh, hopefully see and uh, which also hopefully will function. This is... Okay, so... 
uh, here we are. The, uh, uh, the, the, the title of this uh, introduction is uh, Performatism is Transcendence and Belief After Postmodernism. And uh, well, one of my basic ideas is that uh, the, in this new cultural development, uh, we are able to experience or apprehend transcendence and, 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 and belief in, in the form of art, in the form of literature. Um, in in all sorts of different uh, media and uh, the some of the uh, titles you see here or some of the uh, works you see here are indicative of that or uh, and I'll go into some of them uh, in the course of the lecture of course I can't do everything here uh, what I'd like to start out is of course is what is performatism that's the easiest uh, easiest uh, or the most obvious uh, question and uh, Performatism, as I define it, is an across-the-board cultural reaction to postmodernism that began sometime in the mid-1990s. It may best be described as an epical development that replaces postmodern irony and skepticism with artistically mediated belief and the experience of transcendence. And uh, uh, this, uh, uh, this is a lot more complicated than uh, obviously than it uh, first sounds. Um, this is not a religious revival, uh, but it is. It tries to describe the way that art, literature, film, all even architecture forces us into positions where we believe certain things. What I would like to start off with is what performatism is not, because when I give these lectures, I'm very often uh, told and not uh, informed that it's a simply a repetition of modernism and that it is, or that it's simply continuing something that uh, postmodernism already did. So postmodern, uh, 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 performatism is not a return to modernism and, and performatism is not a continuation of postmodernism. And to explain why that's the case, I'll, I'll do a very, very quick and very superficial run through of, uh, of modernism and, and postmodernism. Uh, high modernism, 1910s and 20s, is devoted to radical innovation, to destroying convention, the search for authenticity, the search for the essence of things, uh, the radical fracturing and reshaping of the human subject, and uh, is also very closely involved with utopianism, with revolution in, in, in many cases. And uh, here, uh, obviously, you could name dozens and dozens of, of people, Hemingway, Brecht, Kafka, Mayakovsky, there. These are all, uh, in a certain sense, typical of this sort of of attitude, of cultural, of cultural strategy. Um, to give a also a, a visual example of how this works, uh, modernism seeks to shock. It seems to uh, uh, it seems to sh it tries to shatter convention, as this urinal that uh, uh, Marcel Duchamp, the famous urinal that he placed in a, a museum. Uh, but uh, typical in another respect is the, the fact that, uh, that the human subject, it's him, him or herself, is shattered by the artist here, by Kazimir Malievich in his uh, picture of a knife grinder who is completely dissolved, fragmented, fractured, 
and uh, is uh, enters into the work that the dynamics of the work that he's doing and uh, finally perhaps the most <laughs> extreme expression of this the uh, black square of uh, Kazimir uh, Malievich which uh, opens up a kind of utopian uh, potential beyond the the work itself uh, now in architecture once more very very briefly and superficially you have a kind of a uh, 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 three-dimensional equivalent of the uh, black square in the Seagram building from Mies van der Rohe and uh, this sort of building is meant to put uh, to, to an end all questions of style uh, forever because function it, 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 it embodies pure or is supposed to embody pure functionality. So uh, now what happens with uh, modernism it, it continues to develop in into what we what is sometimes called late modernism here we find in a, very often the opposite of what we saw before a return to stylized representations of reality uh, we find hierarchy structure and order again in in uh, in art and literature uh, and also the human subject is now has been reconstructed and is subjected or subordinated to these this higher order or hierarchy and uh, uh, here, uh, utopian ideals are realized very often in totalitarian systems of political order. So uh, what uh, happens next is that uh, we have, once more to give visual examples here, a very famous painting by Adolf Wissel showing a German uh, farmer's uh, family, the uh, figures uh, realistically stylized, idealized, and also atomized. They're not looking at one another. Yeah, they're part of a higher uh, a higher order. Uh, here, uh, the next example from socialist whoop, from socialist realism, uh, where you see happy, uh, happy uh, peasant uh, women working in a collective uh, part of Stalin's uh, own dream, own utopian dream that he tried to impose on the Soviet Union. And uh, finally, uh, we have. Uh, uh, Salvador Dali in, in the West, who is obviously not uh, political in the direct sense of the word, but who imposes a paranoid order on, uh, on, on the viewer, as you see here. Uh, so these are all things that are typical of, of high modernism, late modernism, and they uh, come together in, 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 and form a catastrophe, basically, that uh, uh, we have the Gulag in Russia, we have Auschwitz in in Germany, and we have uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, in the West. Uh, these are, that is, that the, the, the modernist is striving for order, uh, for destroying the individual, for uh, also technological innovation leads to these massive catastrophes, these disasters. And the, the question is how, how do artists, how do, uh, how do writers, how do people involved in culture deal with this? And uh, the answer is basically uh, what we call, what we today call postmodernism. And the postmodernism's, the postmodernists' main goal is, or main question, main problem: How do we avoid the disastrous mistakes of modernism? And uh, uh, this is basically the, the the answers to this question are negative. That there's no more radical innovation. There is no more striving for a new utopian order. Uh, there is no search for an authentic sense of being or an essence. Uh, 
as in modernism. There is no radical reshaping of human beings. And the main goal of art becomes disillusionment, that the, the idea that we should not follow uh, our illusions, that we can make the world better, that we can improve man, that uh, any of these things, uh, all these things are now subjected to very stringent uh, critiques. And the way that postmodernism goes about it is uh, to proclaim the end of history. Uh, that is that uh, everything new, there's nothing more new because innovation has led to disaster. Uh, everything new is merely an ironic repositioning of what is old and known. Uh, the human being, the human subject is thought of in a defensive way as a fleeting dissentered uh, victim. And uh, this subject has, has certain strategies that it can use to, to resist, to avoid oppression. Um, it can appropriate other, other people's positions in an ironic way to make it less subject to, to persecution. Uh, the subject can also avoid oppression by dissolving into the context in which it happens to find itself. And it can also play with, ironically, with false signs uh, as, a, as a kind of a positive uh, option it can simulate. So these are all things that the, the postmodern subject, postmodern heroes, uh, postmodern heroines uh, do in, in film and works of literature, in plays, etc. Um, here, as we uh, are uh, well know, that virtual reality becomes much more important than the direct, authentic experience of reality, which is now seen as some sort of self deception, as a modernist illusion. And um, uh, simply to give a few examples uh, to make the point uh, clear, here you have Andy Warhol's famous uh, uh, Campbell soup cans. Uh, they, here, uh, art is ironically shown to be uh, equivalent to advertising and advertising to art. Uh, art has to sell on the one hand and advertising has to make an aesthetic impression also in order to, uh, to, to also to sell so that uh, and Warhol, of course, was both. He was both an advertising man and an artist and was involved with both. Um, another simply <laughs> examples which uh, show uh, how postmodernism ironizes the, the modernist uh, tradition. Here you have Duchamp's uh, urinal once more, but it is now uh, gold-plated, signifying that it, is, uh, it has become an object, a commodity in the art world. And here you see on the right-hand side, you see a, also a urinal, which is now adorned with uh, Malievich's uh, red, uh, red square. He also did a red square, uh, signifying also his collusion with, uh, with, with uh, the communist uh, government. So uh, these uh, sort of ironic plays with, uh, with the tradition are, uh, are repositioning of traditional objects, recontextualizing recontext of of, uh, of already known uh, uh, cultural objects is very typical of postmodernism. Um, and here, finally, uh, a, an artistic, uh, excuse me, a, an architectonic example uh, by Philip Johnson, very famous building in uh, New York, where you have th three styles that are competing. You have the modernist style, you have a kind of an art nouveau style, and you have what looks like an 18th century Chippendale uh, dresser uh, uh, on the top, so that uh, uh, this this kind of building, what this kind of building says, is essentially that uh, 
that, that, that style, trying to find a dominant style is about trying to find a certain power. And uh, here, uh, this, this building in a certain sense unmasks, uh, un unmasks uh, that, uh, that search as, a, uh, as a, uh, a search for power and dominance, as none of these styles really, uh, uh, th these styles canceled one another out, so to speak. So this is modernism, postmodernism wrapped up in a very uh, quick way uh, and is, uh, as I will try to show, that uh, performatism, which uh, follows these two, uh, these, these two epochs or these two developments, is, is, is quite different in the way it goes about doing things. Um, so we now come to the counter logic of performatism, which started roughly speaking in the mid-1990s and has continued on up until today. And how does this, this work now in a positive way? The, the first question that, uh, or the main question that we have to ask, or that I think that, uh, uh, that writers, uh, uh, that creative people ask themselves implicitly, I don't think they actually posed this question ex explicitly, uh, but the problem was how to stop postmodern irony without returning to modernist utopianism or essentialism. Because if you go back to modernism, if you start repeating modernism, you simply are going to make the same mistakes as uh, the modernists. And on top of that, you're going to simply be in the ironic position of simply repeating something old. You're not going to really be doing anything new. So the question is, how do you go about doing anything new under these circumstances. And uh, the way you do so, at least the way that I have uh, found uh, to be consistently present in, in works of literature, art, architecture, film, etc., is that performatist works construct a formal closed off inner space, uh, an inner frame, which I call an inner frame. This is the first step. You can think of it. There it is. It's a, it, it's a frame of, of some kind. And within this frame, we are now able to experience things like transcendence, beauty, truth, belief, godliness, love, that we previously were not able to experience, certainly not in, uh, certainly not in postmodernism, which tried to uh, tried to, which uh, tried to expose all these things as illusions, and uh, certainly not in the way that modernism did it, in the sense that we now have an artificial frame that is um, that that imposes itself on us on, and makes us feel that what we're doing is, is in a certain sense artificial. I'll return to that a little later. Um, what is important here is that this is only possible under particular formal conditions supplied by the given work of art, and that these conditions are constructed and singular rather than authentic and universal. In other words, a modernist would claim that uh, whatever they were doing is something that is, uh, is, 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 uh, is, is exposing the essence of something. Uh, or is, is attuned to the essence of something, and that this essential kind of experience is, has a universal validity. This is something that is not the case in performatism. And these frames have a performative character uh, derived from the word performam, 
meaning in Latin, to go through form. And what is very, very important here is that, uh, is the last point, is that these formal conditions are imposed on us and, as are, and are not unproblematic. In other words, we're experiencing transcendence, beauty, love, whatever, but at the same time, the particular work of art or of literature, whatever, is imposing itself formally upon us so that we have very often have very little choice about how we experience that work. And this interplay between some positive experience of, 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 of bettering ourselves, of transcending ourselves, of experiencing beauty, whatever, uh, this is accompanied by force of some kind. So the, there's always a kind of a tension within, uh, within the performatist works between these usually very positive things and uh, the use of formal force to, uh, to, 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 to essentially to force us to experience them. Um, I'm going to start out with a, uh, a whoop, <laughs> excuse me, I'm going to start out with a uh, a painting by the German uh, painter of the Leipzig school, uh, Tim Eitel, uh, called Reflections. And this painting is, uh, first of all, reminiscent, if you're interested in art, is reminiscent of German romantic painting. It's uh, in, in particular of the paintings of Caspar David Friedrich, the German uh, romantic painter, who here shows a wanderer above a sea of mist, uh, looking at sublime mountains, mountains that are in a certain sense an expression of uh, godliness. And uh, when we go back to, uh, when we go back to uh, Tim Eitel, uh, we see something rather different. We see the same uh, posture, uh, but we don't really see anything, uh, we of course don't see anything uh, sublime directly in, in, in front of us. Now, when we analyze this picture, first of all, we can start out by saying that the, the picture itself is, is within a frame, the, the outer frame, you would say, which simply defines the painting. This is simply a, a given of any painting. Uh, this definition allows us to make the connection to, uh, to Kaspar David Friedrich or perhaps other paintings that have a, a, similar, uh, a similar theme. And uh, we then can focus our attention on the picture itself, which presents us with a kind of a unity, with a kind of a, a, a symmetry, an ambivalent symmetry within the painting. We have a reflection and we have we call an original figure in the, in the, yellow, in the yellow oil skin. And this figure is analogous to the fig, to Caspar David Friedrich's figure. He is opaque because we don't see him. We don't see his face. He's, uh, he or she is, I suppose it's a child, is, is tantalizing. Um, and uh, the, this uh, figure is not interested in us. He's not interested in, in him or herself. Uh, uh, the, the figure is interested in what is out there, what is in a certain sense uh, potentially uh, transcendent. Um, what else do we have in the picture? We have three dimensionality. We have realism. At first, it's a little bit confusing when you look at the picture, but it's not too difficult to tell that this is really a three dimensional, uh, this is a realistic uh, picture in a certain sense. Uh, what we also have though is abstraction in, in, the, uh, in particular uh, here in the, 
the, the, the background that the, the figure is looking into. Um, so we have something comparable to the Friedrich picture. Um, the possibility of transcendence is suggested, but remains ambivalent. It's not clear if this is a wall or if this is simply fog. Uh, we, don't, uh, we, we, we don't know. So if we summarize this, we could say that we have a double frame, that the work as a whole confirms the symmetry of the inner scene while perhaps showing a way out. In other words, we, 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 we don't, uh, we're not 100% sure that there's a way out, but once more, this is a figure that uh, gives us an apprehension of the possibility of transcendence without really realizing it in the same explicit way that, that, uh, that Friedrich does. And the, the big question is, as, as with, within all analyses of, of these kind of works, be it paintings, uh, be, it, be it paintings, uh, films, uh, dramas, whatever, is this ironic? Is this meant ironically? And this is something that each person, in a certain sense, each viewer has to answer uh, for his or herself. Um, I do not find this painting ironic. In other words, it's not making fun of, of us and it's uh, not making uh, fun of uh, the figure. It's, uh, it's in a certain sense uh, perfectly balanced uh, between the, uh, the, the, these two, two postures. Um, and uh, as I said, here is a, you're not completely forced to, uh, to, to accept the, the, the possibility of transcendence in this picture, uh, but it's, it's, it's difficult to avoid it given, uh, given the givens of the picture. Now, uh, another example that is perhaps, uh, that is from architecture and that is perhaps a little bit uh, more obvious is the uh, Philharmonic Hall in Hamburg, the, the Elbe Philharmonic Hall, which uh, looks like an enormous architect god has cut it out cut out a chunk of the sea. And here you have the, the sea bottom, the, the sea floor. This is this brown part and the, this, the waves have turned into a kind of a, a jelly and are now uh, placed upon, uh, are, are now perched upon the, the sea floor. So um, this is, I think, an obvious act of an architect um, um, uh, demonstrating transcendence, that it's, it's an impossible act that the architect is now, is performed or has performed for us. And the result is what I, I call transcendent functionalism, that uh, we recognize the function that uh, this building is, houses an opera house, it's, uh, it, it obviously has a function, but why this function of having an opera house is in the form of a chunk of C, nobody knows. And this not being able to, to figure out uh, what this means is, is a kind of a, a negative indicator of transcendence. If you can't explain something at all because it's too, uh, too wild, too, too, too strange, too, too unheard of, uh, then this is a, a sign of transcendence. And this type of architecture plays very strongly with this uh, sort of uh, with this sort of thing, um, and uh, finally, uh, in terms of uh, I, I'd like to address performatism in, in in a narrative work. In this case, in 
in, in, in a movie, which I'll get to very uh, quickly. Um, once more, the basic notions of performatism, it works through double framing. The work will construct a positive state of experience through closure by, uh, by, by creating an enclosed space. Uh, this enclosed space is then transcended in somewhere in the plot. And uh, here you can, uh, you, can, you can depict it in this uh, following way, inner frame, outer frame is first subjected to closure and then there is some form of transcendence. Another thing that is very, very typical of performatist uh, narratives is that the heroes and heroines are separated. They're, they're somehow shut off from other people. This can be psychological, it can be physical, or a combination of, uh, of both. And uh, here, uh, once more, a, uh, a graphic depiction of uh, this sort of separation. And, and once more, what happens here, ideally, in, in a performatist work, is that these separated characters transcend their isolation through bonding uh, with one another so that uh, the double framing and the bonding work together to uh, produce at least or at least suggest transcendent outcomes. So this is the basic formula of performatist narrative, um, also presented in rather uh, schematic, simple way. Now, um, the, the movie that I'd like to uh, talk about is uh, Parasite, which is uh, the Oscar-winning movie from 2019. It's also, I think, the last movie that I saw before COVID struck, uh, the last movie I saw in a movie theater before COVID struck, uh, so that um, it's still a little bit in my, in my uh, consciousness. The movie's quite complicated. I reduced it rather drastically to, uh, to get to the point. Uh, the basic idea, if you haven't seen the movie, is that a poor Korean family uh, pretends to be unrelated to one another in order to gain access to the house of a rich family uh, who we see here to the right in the inner frame, which is the rich family's, you can think of as the rich family's house where most of the action takes place. Uh, the, at some point, the poor family who are uh, obviously are acting as parasites in the, the, the sense of the movie's title, uh, take over the family's house and, and, and live it up and, uh, and have a good time. Uh, unfortunately, what happens, there's a further complication that there is a second inner frame within, within the first inner frame. And this is a basement room where uh, another poor, poor person, the, the husband of the former housekeeper who has been driven out by this family uh, is hiding so that uh, the result is a bloody conflict uh, between these poor people and uh, as a result uh, the the father of the poor family kills the father of the rich family and I think also the mother kills the housekeeper's husband resulting in an enormous bloodbath. I'm sorry if I take away the, uh, the ending of the movie uh, but uh, uh, it's unavoidable in this case. Uh, what happens is, is that the father hides in the hidden basement room where he may, remains undiscovered for, I think, four years. This, the movie makes it sound plausible, so we uh, have to accept this. And uh, he now is now the radically separated character that I spoke of earlier. In other words, he is completely cut off from all communication with anyone 
uh, he sneaks up in, at night and uh, raids the refrigerator, but otherwise he, he, he can't get out. He, can't, he can only communicate with his son uh, through Morse code by, uh, by clicking the light switch on in the house on and off. And by doing so, both the son and the, uh, and the father dream of a reunion where the son will make enough money to buy the house and, and uh, reunite the, the, the pair. And this is shown as an imagined scene in the film, uh, which uh, you can uh, see here that the, the two, uh, a little bit, you can see that the two figures bond on the threshold between inside and out. And um, uh, if you uh, put everything together, you'll see that the uh, film as a whole, the narrative frame of the film as a whole, what I would call the outer frame, uh, supports this, this reunion, this, 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 this uh, transcendence of, of, of inside and uh, out. So the two characters uh, uh, ideally will bond somewhere and uh, the film suggests that they will be reunited or may be reunited and that the father will transcend his self-imposed uh, captivity. So um, uh, this is for, this is in my opinion, an exemplary, uh, an exemplary uh, film in the sense that it shows how this double framing uh, can work. Now, I'd like to make a jump or, or perhaps to summarize this. The film forces us to identify with the desire of the main characters to transcend what is a seemingly a hopeless closed off situation. Uh, the film does this using an, a biblical motif, which is the reunion of the father with the son. Uh, the film also contains a critique of capitalism and social striving, but this critique is somewhat ambivalent. It's uh, uh, because we want the characters to succeed. We want them to become uh, wealthy. We want them to occupy this uh, rich person's uh, house. And uh, this, this, this striving for transcendence in a certain sense becomes more important than the ethical problems raised by, by their actions in doing so. So there's this tension between, uh, between doing bad things or doing uh, somewhat uh, illegal things in order to uh, in order to better yourself in order to transcend and then obviously the tension between that and and legal things like uh, hurting people and the film leaves this open the film remains ambivalent in this sense and this leads me into a, another uh, field which is uh, performance culture in politics and society. And uh, uh, here, um, I think one of the main points is that performatism is a reaction to the complete triumph of global capitalism. I don't think that uh, there, there are very, very few uh, enclaves where there is no capitalism, maybe North Korea, maybe Belarus, uh, very, very few countries. There are very, very few countries where the, the capitalism is as an economic system doesn't function. And this replaces the old post-modernist or post-structuralist notion of, a, of, of an opposition between a non-capitalist periphery that is somehow going to resist capitalist hegemony and uh, first world capitalist 
domination. This, uh, this, this model was, uh, uh, was very important in the, 18, in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. But I think that in terms of world economic development, it, has, it, it, it is now obsolete. And uh, performatism or performatist culture is, is, is a kind of reaction to uh, this new uh, development. What I think postmodernist culture does in this situation where capitalism is everywhere, uh, literally, is that it uh, creates or it gives us the ability in culture to create closed off singular spaces within this global capitalism. And uh, there, there are different possibilities that this offers. There's resistance to capitalism, there is coexistence with capitalism, and there is also then the, the co-optation of, of capitalism, which I think you, we find in, the, in Parasite, in the movie that we just saw that uh, uh, the movie, um, uh, the, the movie, in, in a certain sense, encourages us to co-opt uh, co uh, capitalism to, uh, to, to, to better ourselves, or at least it, 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 it suggests that the characters are doing this. Performatist culture also plays a role in what, uh, in, in what I would call post-ideological politics. Now, uh, post-ideological politics have been with us for a very long time. We no, no longer have two blocks. We no longer have a communist and a, a, a capitalist system. And the, the grand ideologies, as, as, uh, as Lyotard was one to call them, no longer exist in this sense. Uh, but we do have a lot of politics that is based on belief, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, in other words, politics uh, is now very often oriented towards performative uh, belief systems. And examples of this would be populism, the, relative, the populist systems in, uh, or governments in Poland and Hungary, also in America, the, the government of uh, Trump. Uh, culture wars, in particular, the, the ones raging in, in, in these countries, which are provoked by the populace, also are indicative of this, that belief becomes uh, almost more important than uh, traditional ideology. Uh, religious fundamentalism in, uh, in, in the Muslim world, uh, but also the, the Arab Spring, which, uh, uh, which brings forth opposite, in a certain sense, the opposite values of religious fundamentalism. Uh, that individual dignity is now seen as, as, as a goal. Uh, Obama's Yes, We Can, or Merkel's Yerschaffenes, uh, I think, are also in, indicative of this kind of politics in which uh, belief, which performance, uh, performed belief, uh, plays a, a role. And this is expressed directly in these slogans. Uh, now, um, um, Perhaps the, um, and, and, and finally, a, 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 a remark about social media, which uh, as we know are omnipresent. Uh, from the point of view of performatism, uh, these social media, which obviously can spread disinformation, which can be, create virtual worlds, which, uh, which uh, uh, virtual illusionary worlds. Uh, from the performatist point of view, these social media are able to make things present. They, they can make things immediate uh, that uh, we would otherwise not have uh, access to. And in, in this sense, you could think of them as being 
also having performatist, uh, performatist qualities. Uh, finally, uh, this is, I think, the, the last thing, which is the, um, uh, the last, uh, 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 my last point, is uh, performatism and the pandemic, which we're all obviously um, affected by. And in terms of performatist uh, culture, uh, we've now been unified by the threat of the virus, which you could think of as, as an outer frame that is enclosing everyone. Uh, we're now all in confined to enclosed spaces through lockdowns, through quarantines. Uh, we're in, in, in a certain sense, these would be inner frames. Uh, we follow rituals that closely resemble religious practices like masking, uh, avoiding physical contact, stress baking, uh, all things that have religious uh, implications, of course, uh, unconsciously. And, uh, and, and, and we also try to bond with, with others in spite of all these uh, restrictions from uh, without. And, and finally, we're all uh, awaiting an act of transcendence, an act of salvation, whether a vaccine, the virus mutating to something less harmful or, or, or whatever. So uh, this is, um, uh, so, so in this rather strange way, grotesque way, uh, the virus, uh, the, the, the virus acts in a, in a, in a kind of a, a performatist way without, of course, being conscious of, uh, uh, of doing so. And with that, that's the end of my, um, that's the end of my little uh, lecture. And I will now return the, uh, I will now return the screen to Tom Amark. Um, whoop, wait a minute, no. So, and yes, now I believe right. Tom. Perfect. Uh, would you uh, would you close the? Um, you're still sharing. Okay. I will stop the. Yeah. Right here we are, Professor Eschelman. Thank you for for that lecture. That was great. I think there are a couple of questions that we all have. Uh, what I will do now um, is to uh, bring some people who are participating on the Zoom call um, to this discussion. Um, while I'm doing so, like, would you elaborate a little bit on, um, on the relationship between performatism and the pandemic? Because you could say, I mean, it's obviously it's like the first, no, it's not the first time, but how is it different to the, you know, Spanish flu, say 100 years ago? Like, why is that? not related to performatism, why is that virus, the corona, correlated to, to, to COVID? Um, well, I wouldn't, the, 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 this last, uh, the, the last remarks about, um, uh, about uh, COVID were simply to show how, how, how an act, something accidental is is translated into cultural actions, or can be can be thought of in terms of a, a a certain cultural mindset. I don't know enough about the the the, the nineteen eighteen pandemic to to really compare it. One thing I do know about it is is that everybody there there are very few um, there are very few depictions of it. 
um, right. in, in cultural, in, in works of culture, which is a little bit different now. There are now, um, I, I'm aware, there, there, there are numerous essays. There are also attempts. I think the, uh, the New York Times had a, a competition for writers um, to, to express themselves about, about the pandemic. Um, so uh, the main point is not that, 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 that the, the, the 1918 pandemic was somehow modernist in, in the way it was, uh, it, it was depicted or in the way it was, um, in the way people dealt with it, uh, simply because I don't have, I, I have no terms of comparison. Right. Okay. So, but you did do a relationship to, to, uh, to Corona, like, and, and performatism, like where does it come from? Like, is it just, it can't be just arbitrary that you say, well, there are like these quasi-religious practices we have and we are enclosed and it, it can't be just circumstantial, is what I mean. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a bit accidental, um, uh, but what it does show is that, of course, the virus is, is an accident in, 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 in the, at, at least as far as we can tell. Right. Um, uh, it's an accident, and this accident simply, for for accidental reasons, fits in very well with our present cultural uh, mindset, which is the the, the, the reason that I uh, the, the reason that I uh, that I uh, picked it out. Right. Uh, but it is it's, it's it's essentially accidental. Right. So so um, I mean, would would you say that? Um, the, the paradigm which you are describing as, as performatism has permeated our culture that much that it's a, it's a phenomenon that fits that kind of narrative or that kind yeah, of paradigm? Yeah, exactly. That would, that, that would be the point, is that, uh, that uh, it, it fits in perfectly with, uh, with, with our cultural mindset and with, our, and with what was going on in, in, in culture as a whole or what has been going on in culture as a whole for the last perhaps uh, 15, 20 years, but, but it, is, uh, it is accidental though. Right, right. I don't know if um, the participants can uh, uh, say something uh, or if, uh, if they still mute it. Um, can you please use the chat to tell me if, um, if you can say something? Because I think I unmuted them, but I don't know. Let's see. Um, another question that I had was about this framing. Be uh, okay, she, she was just, okay, perfect. Okay, um, uh, about the framing. So th the question that I had was, um, how can I employ and use this model of, of framing and double framing to look at you know, works of art because it also seems a little bit arbitrary. It's like, like it's, it's a cognitive act that I have to, you know, uh, to use. Like, how do I use this model to, to uh, assess a work of art, you know, as a layman? You know, if, I, if I'm confronted with a, with a movie um, like Parasite, you know what I mean? Um, you basically, don't have to, you don't have to, usually don't have to think very hard because uh, these type of movies or, or books or whatever uh, force you to make identifications that you would 
normally not made. I think that's the that that's the one main criteria if you're looking for a performance work of art. Does this work force me to identify uh, myself with something that normally I wouldn't identify myself with, like with a knife murderer or, uh, in, in this particular case? Right. And uh, the the second point is that uh, is this, and this is also very closely connected to the, this uh, problem of identification. Is there, how, is this meant ironically? Right. Uh, is there, is, is this work making fun of me? Is it making fun of the characters? Is it, uh, um, and uh, I don't believe that, I, I think these, if you take these two criteria as a layman and apply them to anything that you read or watch, uh, you'll be able to you'll be able to get a pretty good idea of what, what is performatist and what is not. Right. Also subjectively without going through all the theoretical okay. issues involved. <laughs> okay. I think Lena has a question. Lena, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Thank you for uh, joining. My camera doesn't work on this computer. Right. Okay. Well, thank mm -hmm. you for, uh, for this interesting lecture. Uh, so you brought out uh, three examples of architecture, the modern functionalistic skyscraper, then the AT&T building, which was postmodern and had these um, sort of ironical uh, applications, the, um, the uh, Chippendale and the... Um, Art Deco, and then the Opera House in Hamburg, or Concert Hall in, in Hamburg, which has, I think the, the bottom part, the red brick part, was was that an original building that had the, the gray part with the light and the sort of the waves on top added to it? Yes, it was an originally, I think it was a, a warehouse of some kind. Yeah. Um, and um, so the, the first one is, is strictly f functionalistic and very sort of machine-like. Then you have the second one, which is the postmodern with the ironical distance to something human-made in the past. And then you have the opera house that has um, a stylized piece of nature, namely the ocean. Or you could also see the waves on top as sort of... Um, sails on a sailboat or, or yes, something is. very organic that is, that is added to something non-organic at all. And so I was wondering if there is in this transcendence in the um, performative um, framework, is, is there a relationship to, to nature that is not there in, in the modern and the postmodern? Yeah, that's a, a very interesting question. Um, uh, in this particular case, uh, I, I think there is, but in this, also in this particular case, it's, it's constructed nature. In other words, it's not an attempt to uh, integrate nature into directly into the, um, into the, the, into the architectural structure. Uh, that would something be something more, more even perhaps more postmodern. That uh, the post postmodern buildings, you know, with grassy roofs and with uh, that, 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 that that tend to flow into the uh, flow into the the, 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 the nature around them. Um, uh, the postmodern 
or the rather, excuse me, the performatist architecture that I've seen or described up to now tends to 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 be very very constructed. And when nature does appear, as or when something natural does appear, then as as a, as a very clearly marked construct, as as in this case. So it's not a back to nature type of thing. Right. Right. But so what, yeah. would you do? You see this? Do you see this uh, epoch in? And culture as uh, coming towards an end, or is is this continuing? Do you see something else replacing it now? Because this is this has really been going on for thirty years, which, according to your definition of postmodernism, was also thirty years. Yeah, uh, basically, it should be uh, it should be on its way out, uh, but I haven't seen uh, seen anything that is, is 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 radically different from it up to now it's also possible that i have uh, performatist blinders on that i'm simply uh, so so taken by uh, by by the theory itself that i don't see these things this is also possible in in cognitive terms but uh, up to now i haven't seen anything that would uh, that, that, that would suggest that there's something uh, radically different out there that is is replacing it at the moment. But I'm always I mean, open for just, suggestions. You, but you, you just mentioned nature, so I was wondering. I mean, some of the new architecture is, as you said. I mean, there there's grass on the roof, and you're uh, the. I I I would even guess that even though it doesn't look like nature, but as you said, it it's a it's a human uh, replica replication of nature, it might actually be a CO2 neutral building. I don't know the Hamburg um, concert building okay. here. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just, you know, thinking that it, it may not look as if it's in harmony with nature, but it might actually be. But then there's a visual aesthetic uh, harmony with nature, which you, you brought it up yourself, which is so is nature integrated into the architecture? And, and, and that might actually be one of the future uh, or what is currently in the making, because I mean, it takes a while uh, to, to create a building. So, I mean, if, if you compare it to fashion, for instance, that that shifts two or three times per year, you have a new collection mm -hmm. three or two or three, four times per year. Um, and so you design it within six months before it's in the market, but a, but a building, a concert hall. I mean, that's 10, 15 years in the making, maybe. So what we see as architecture now was an idea for a very long, I mean, was an idea a long time ago. So so the, the trends, the, uh, the values, the aesthetics that manifest themselves in architecture um, have, they, they were, they emerged earlier and we see them now because it takes a time. It takes a while to build it. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I uh, I, I kind of keep my eyes peeled <laughs> for uh, new buildings when I'm in uh, in uh, different cities. Uh, up to now, I haven't seen anything like that. But uh, as I said, and I think as you also properly said, that uh, uh, these in architecture it takes uh, a longer time, very often, for these things to to be realized and um, but as of now I haven't seen anything uh, drastically different from from these uh, performatist buildings. 
Well, can I ch chime in just for a second? Because like uh, staying on topic of, of, of uh, this uh, Elb Philharmonie, it's like um, the, that the architect used nature as far as I understand it was a means to an end because it seems, as you said, like a, like a transcendent heavenly thing appearing as like nature as water, but what's, what's prime uh, is, uh, or, or what's important is the experience of heavenly beauty. Uh, and, 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 and what's the point? It's not the point that it's uh, uh, imitating nature, but it's more the, the experience of beauty and, and, and some outer worldly form manifesting on top of, of the factory yeah. hall. And so I yeah. think that's, that's uh, what it's about. It's not about nature. It's, it's about the experience um, mediated through imitation of nature. Do, do I get that right? This, you, that's absolutely precisely what I would have said, is that uh, and nature is a part of it. Um, but what is, what is really most important is this, this notion of, of, of transcendence, of, of somehow uh, apprehending transcendence. Um, and uh, the, there are other aspects of the building that, that also that demonstrate that. I think that if uh, it's, it's, it's broken off in different places, that the top is, is, is separated from the bottom, it seems to float on the bottom. Uh, it has other aspects that all convey that sort of, of, of impossibility that, that, that suggests transcendence. Yeah, you have to discard disbelief uh, yeah. actively. Yes. Um, so, and I think that that is also, is, could you describe that also as a frame that you have to set that frame to discard? You know, you, you mentioned in your book, like the American, what, what's the movie, American? American Beauty. Yeah, American Beauty or, or Life of Pi, where you have like these opposing descriptions of what happened on the boat. Uh, and you have like, like one realistic and one uh, more mythical or more fantastic way of describing the events, but the, 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 the work of art forces you to, to maybe choose the more unrealistic, more fantastical one, because it, it points to a higher form of love or experience, you know, and, and so yeah, yeah. Does, does, does that, is that a framing? Uh, to discard disbelief and to cho to choose also, or, or, or um, what what is that? Do, yeah, do I know what I'm? Yeah. Yes, I know what you're. I know what you're saying. Uh, it's it's uh, in ideal terms, it's not it's not a cognitive decision. In other words, it's not a it's not the result of some sort of reflection about do I want to discard belief and uh, rather uh, disbelief and do I want to believe? It's 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 rather a case of 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 uh, belief imposing itself upon right. and so that I, I, can't, I can't resist this belief. Th there's a, see, I, I do not know your book. I, I only heard this lecture now. So, uh, but the story of Pi, uh, there's a, a, a crucial line in, 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 uh, in that movie, um, which is that the reason why he was telling the story in that way was because reality was too unbearable. Yeah. So the real story, I mean, what actually happened on that boat, um, I think his mother was killed uh, by yeah, one of the yeah. sailors or yeah. something like that. So, um, so he turns this into a parable and it's an entirely symbolic myth, myth that he creates yeah. 
because he simply cannot bear to tell the truth yeah or the the objective truth but it becomes a spiritual truth exactly yeah um and if we look at that um concert hall there there's some some of the same there because i mean it it's the the original red brick building is that that's the that's the if that was an old warehouse of of modernism and of capitalism and of of all this maybe unbearable stuff then it has this piece of beauty on top of it which becomes the narrative and it it's also i mean that is reflecting the sea it is on the harbor yeah it's so, I even lived, yeah, so I, I even, wonder. Yeah. So I wonder if if uh, if part of that performatism is really because there is something that is so un, unbearable that we have to beautify it. We have to turn it into a narrative that is grander than that unbearable reality that we're actually facing. Um, in a certain sense, yes. Uh, one thing that I, I didn't talk about. Uh, much in the lecture because it would have been too complicated and leads into all kinds of philosophical questions is that um, that this 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 type of mindset aesthetic I can't even pronounce it aestheticizes reality which is exactly what you uh, what you described here is that um, the, the tendency is to uh, to present ugly reality or to, to regard reality as something ugly, as something that is threatening, and that to try to make it bearable uh, through aesthetic means. And uh, this leads also to spiritualization, it leads to aestheticization, um, and these things uh, very often go, uh, go, go hand in hand. And these, uh, the, like the life of Pi, views this as something positive. I think that's, that's uh, you would agree with that. The book is not making fun of a pie or reader right. to who, who follow his uh, who, who choose the, the more beautiful version um, it, it's an attitude it's a mindset that you can then yourself reproject onto the world and maybe cause that ugly uh, ugly world to to, to 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 become better in some way i think that's how an ethics of of, of performatism uh, would work and I, I think the same thing is in the painting with the Yellow raincoat. I mean, that's a. I mean, this is a very bleak uh, yeah, yeah. surrounding, and it's gray and it's raining, and it's uh, basically Europe in freaking October, like now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that is that is kind of unbearable, and you know that you have like four months ahead with the same kind of yeah, crappy weather. So, uh, and in that you have that bright yellow raincoat and a child maybe even playing in the in the water and the rain there. So. I, th I think there is that kind of, you know, ping pong between the unbearable and and the beauty and the um, making it bearable. Yes, that's 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 very definitely a, a part of of, uh, of performatism, and it's uh, as I said, it's it's a it's a it's a kind of a gut reaction against uh, postmodernism, which uh, tends to uh, simply. Uh, stick its finger in the wound uh, continually in other words to, uh, to 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 demonstrate to us that any attempt to to be to experience beauty or experience anything higher is an illusion that will uh, keep us from facing uh, facing harsh reality so you, you i mean both both mindsets are possible 
but in cultural terms, I think this uh, the, the postmodern mindset has outlived itself. That it's uh, it's now perceived as simply being irony for the sake of of irony's sake. It's uh, um, uh, people want this 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 kind of uh, the, 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 this, these these kind of higher higher experiences. So how do you how do you see beauty? Because I mean that is the 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 concert hall. I mean it is beautiful. Um, it also has a certain kind of ugliness. I was actually there, and when you go up with the escalator, it it's you have to go through that sort of tube of ugliness before you get to the beauty of the building. Mm -hmm. um, but so. But I guess, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But still, there is something objectively beauty, beautiful in that concert hall building. And there is something beautiful in that child in the, red, in the yellow yeah. uh, raincoat. Yeah. Um, so, so the fact that we dare, we dare appreciate beauty, show beauty, have beauty. And I mean, that is also transcendent emotion. Because it, it, it connects us with something deeper inside ourselves if we dare uh, subjugate ourselves to beauty and just experience it as beauty. My sentiments exactly. This is yeah. uh, so. This is uh, also one of the I think one of the main principles, uh, driving principles behind this kind of cultural development. But so I w I would like to because you bring in the, the modern and the postmodern, and both of those are very individualistic. I mean, the, the, the individual plays a really strong role in both epochs in our history and philosophy and, and society. But before that, we had a traditional culture, and that's where we have religion, and that's where we uh, used beauty to connect people. Um, and to build societies and cohesion and to transcend collectively perhaps even, but also as an individual, to aim for something higher than, than the human uh, society. I mean, the posterity, the divine, whatever we want to call it. Um, so do you see in, I mean, something beyond uh, the performative um, that could relate back to something that is also connecting people because uh, the, I mean, the child in that painting is very, very much alone. Yeah. Um, yes, that's, um, it, it's, this, this is a big problem. In other words, ideally, I suppose that uh, this performatist kind of uh, ethics that I was talking about that you let beauty or some sort of higher form of experience work upon yourself and then you project it back onto others uh, would result in collective uh, some sort of uh, collective mindset that is uh, or some sort of collective experience that is uh, positive in a certain way uh, when you of course look at our reality and that the pandemic was is, is actually a good example of that um, the, the pandemic, we're all exposed to the same uh, external uh, factors in the pandemic for the most part. And uh, of course, it, it doesn't quite work that way, that uh, 
you have uh, people who deny the uh, deny the, the existence of the virus. You have uh, uh, it, it, it's uh, it's not quite as is uh, um, uh, the, the result is not quite as uplifting as one one might uh, one might hope. But but what you say is also true that this would be the ideal of if performatism would be uh, would would realize itself in a in a positive way. This is the direction that it would go in. Uh, unfortunately, it's it, it's probably not going to happen the, the, the way things the way things look. How how do you mean? I mean, you 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 think that we will remain as fragmented as societies, individuals and societies, as as we have been for the past thirty and sixty years, or so you don't think that will change? Um, I'm I'm not a prophet. Um, I, <laughs> I, I am also not a sociologist. This is something that uh, um, this is this is more uh, something that uh, sociologists uh, or, or students of, um, of of religion would have to would have to look at more closely. Um, it, it will be certainly be interesting to see whether the pandemic leads to any sort of new cohesiveness. Um, uh, perhaps in certain regards it, it, it has and, and, and will, but at the moment, of course, we're in the middle of it and uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to tell. I mean, the interesting thing is that the pandemic is actually the first time uh, in human history that we all work together. And, you know, it's like we have yeah. these daily exercises and these lockdowns and washing hands and whatever. But this is basically like a like a daily exercise we're all doing together. Yeah. And so that's the, basically the first time in history that that happened. Yeah. That we all work together. And so that's... Mm. And we're, we're all on Zoom together, separate, but on Zoom together. We're all on, on Zoom together. This is once more the paradox of... <laughs> The, the paradox that I was talking about also with social media, we're, we're all together, we're all here, and at the same time, we're, uh, we're obviously uh, simply little pixels on, on, on a screen. Uh, so there's a, <laughs> there's a kind of, uh, um, there's, there's a kind of split in, in this, uh, in, in the way we, uh, we deal with this. There, there is also a shared sense of irony towards 2020. I mean, that has become a thing. I mean, this this year is so weird, and it's all around the globe. It's like seven, eight billion people suffering from the same silly year where everything just seems to yeah, go haywire, yeah. and everybody everybody notices it. Yeah, exactly. And once more, whether this actually, uh, in the final analysis, results in some sort of you know, basal change in human consciousness is, is of course, is, is asking a lot. That's, uh, it's, it's possible, but it's, uh, at the moment, it's, uh, it's not clear that that will happen. That's why, why you're saying consciousness, because uh, uh, Lena, if I may, because Lena is, uh, he, she studied uh, theology, if I, if I remember right, and she wrote a couple of books uh, on metamodernism, for example, and, and stuff like that, uh, The Nordic Secret. And um, what I was wondering, like, if, is there, you know, because met metamodernism connects cultural stages also, like very broadly speaking, to cognitive development and self-authorship mm. and self-transcendence in a kind of way. So if you look at performatism, is there, uh, is, is there uh, an increase of, of some form of 
world building, of sense making, of of complexity, of of yeah, say psychological development, a need to to participate or to create uh, such works of art, or is it like completely separated, just like cultural phenomenon, as as a cultural phenomenon? Um, that, that that's very hard to say. Um, one of the, my my basic ideas is that uh, that performatism uh, works mainly on the the level of intuition. In other words, that uh, uh, it's um, it does raise your consciousness or change your consciousness in a certain way, uh, but not through reflection. Uh, it's it's mainly through uh, the the these ex the experiencing of these uh, higher states of. of of, 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 of whatever, or love, beauty, uh, these uh, positive uh, higher states that are being imposed on us. Um, so that it's mainly, uh, mainly intuitive. So that I don't, I've, I've never uh, thought about how it could be translated or transferred into, uh, into, 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 into actual self-improvement in, in that, in that sense. I don't, uh, uh, I, well, not so much self-improvement as maturation, as natural. As maturation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah that's it, 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 it's it's certainly possible, but uh, like I said, this is it's it's a little bit out of my uh, out of my uh, out of my box. It's uh, um, uh, I simply ha haven't uh, haven't dealt with that. Right. But you might, I mean, like. It's like one one of Lena's books deals with you know works of art, you know in in the German history, like and how they uh, you know connect very well to stages of psychological develop development and that mm. what 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 Fichte and and Hegel and and Schelling and Kant and Goethe and what they all like were up against or creating then you have, has, has, have to correct me if i'm saying this wrong but you know so like th these were the ideals put forward by the german philosophers and can very well describe by psychology today and so you have to think about you know when if if they created works of art and literature and so like what kind of psychological stage of development corresponds to to performatism or metamodernism or, or whatever you know it's like it, it has to come from somewhere, you know. It's not like arbitrary and creating itself out of itself. You know what I mean? It's like there has yeah. to be a form of cognitive mindset to, to you know, to approach. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would be able to. Um, yes, to to, uh, <clears throat> to deal with the term cognitive mindset. I think that's 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 more like what it is. Uh, I can't say I can't say anything about how that uh, ties in with uh, German philosophy. I would have to read Lena's book, which I would be interested in looking at. But at the moment, I can't really uh, comment on. <laughs> I like on to hear how, that. <laughs> I, I can't comment on it uh, nope. on it uh, uh, directly. Right. So I, I think it was the um, uh, or, or let me put it in a, in a different way. I mean. The, what we call art, uh, the difference between art and entertainment. I mean, we're we're in uh, we're in the the field of the aesthetics now. Uh, so that can be architecture, that can be art, that can be fashion, but it's it's any kind of uh, symbolic representation of what is important to us. 
And the way that I distinguish between entertainment and art is that entertainment confirms uh, and reproduces what we already know. So it, it mm -hmm. makes us feel safe. Mm -hmm. But art expands our symbolic world and it expands what we're capable of communicating to one another. And so we have different areas of, of the arts. We've got architecture, we've got music, we've got design, we've got um, poetry, we've got theater. I mean, there are paintings, all these different kinds of, of arts and they're all expanding our, our symbolic world and our way of being in this world. And so because the arts expand our symbolic world and we do not have yet the symbols that it is creating, it will have to be the in intuition of those who are sort of on the fringes of, of the culture, those who, who come up with a sentiment that hasn't been put into symbols yet, who create those symbols and then we call them artists um, or great architects because they captured something far enough in advance that was still somehow meaningful to the investors in the buildings that allowed them to design the kind of building and build it. And here we are with with architecture that suddenly, I mean, that, that points forward, but was actually conceived maybe five, 10 or 15 years earlier. Um, and that expresses who we are or who we are about to become. Um, and, and that makes it art. So yes, we are in the intuitive field, uh, but that intuition, it, it, it points in a direction. Yes, I completely agree that, uh, in other words, <laughs> um, uh, there, there is this, at, at some point in the mid nineties, it's, it's very hard to say where or when it exactly started this, 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 this intuition of creative uh, people began and uh, it, it, uh, it, it, it began in, it began all over the place. It began, as I said, I started out in Russia and I quickly discovered it was, it was in America. It was eventually in Germany also. Uh, so that, uh, and, and this intuition also, also spread to become a collective, uh, uh, almost a collective consciousness. And it's even uh, trickled down, I think it's trickled down to, to popular culture, to what you called entertainment. That, uh, right. Yeah. And so, I mean, if, if we were to, um, and one of the things that's interesting right now, because of social media and because of technology, um, in the West, we have, we have driven this uh, development since the, the last 500 years. Uh, and there has been a sort of a natural barrier between our culture and other cultures because there wasn't the communicational tools to spread all this information, all these stories and symbols. But with mass media and particularly with social media, uh, 500 years of aesthetics are suddenly worldwide in no time. And this whole um, conflict or uh, uh, clash between the, the traditional society and, and aesthetics and values and the modern society and aesthetics and values and postmodern with the irony uh, and also with uh, the, the performatism here 
Um, that is like all over the place, around the globe, simultaneously. So there are a lot of cultures outside the Western civilization that have to face both the traditional society and modernism and postmodernism and this performatism and you know everything simultaneously and they have a tremendous challenge figuring out which is what and and how to navigate this we after all are have had sort of a, a progressive development of these increasingly complex and self-referential aesthetic systems yeah, I, I, once again, I, I agree that this is uh, th this is the new uh, challenge. It's it's no longer this peripheral these peripheral uh, peripheral uh, traditional societies that are uh, adamantly opposed to to, to to Western culture or being swallowed up by Western culture. Uh, you, you see fusions. You see new mm. fusions in in all these cultures. I'm, I've had I was in China several years ago, and you could see this very very intensively how they take their own culture and they, uh, they, they merge it with, uh, with, uh, with, with Western culture in, in, in new synthetic ways. Um, I, that, that's the, the culture that I've had most, the, the most experience with, but I think it's also taking place in the Arab world. That uh, I have quite a few people in the, in the Arab world who are interested in performatism, I think for that reason, is that they're searching for some sort of uh, of way to, to fuse their own culture with, let us say, Western co concepts of, of individualism. Uh, the, the Arab Spring, for example, mm. was, was, was about that to a great extent. So these are very, very dynamic processes that are going on uh, all over the place. And, and they're not just negative, it's not just the uh, West uh, swallowing up uh, swallowing up traditional cultures, these traditional cultures uh, adapting and, uh, and also the, 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 the renewing themselves. That, that would also be the ideal of the performist, performatist ideal in this case, is these, these cultures were, were able to renew themselves within this uh, global capitalism, which is really universal. So do you see, uh, I mean, since you're pre professor of the Slavic uh, literature or languages? Uh, literature. Literature. So how do you, how do you see it in, uh, in, in those areas? Uh, in, in those areas, it's, um, it depends on where you are. In, in Russia, it's, it's rather depressing. Um, or, Wasn't that always the story it's, of Russia? It's almost, it's almost <laughs> always been that way, but it's uh, simply particularly depressing. Obviously, Russia has a very long history of, 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 of uh, uh, mixing spirituality and literature. Uh, you need only mention Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, uh, but it's, it's, it's still a very strong feature of, of Russian culture but it has now um, given way to a kind of, 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 of hopelessness. So this is the one, uh, the one path that's being taken. It's, uh, it's, it's really hopelessness in, in the face of, uh, of the present, uh, present regime. And the other is a, a kind of, um, is a kind of uh, uh, enjoyment and, and, and ex exulting in, in, in imperialism. In, 
in Russia, so that you have a, a, a right-wing literature which is, um, which aestheticizes imperi Russian imperialism, uh, often in a in a very clever way, and and then you have the uh, the, the more progressive or, or liberal elements that have that that are starting to give up, that are starting to to, to resign completely, and. Uh, uh, this, the situation is, is not, as I said, not <laughs> is, 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 is depressing. So how, how about uh, places like uh, Ukraine or Belarus or Georgia or any of these other um, non-Russian uh, countries and where there are in many places even uh, large Russian minorities? but a, a strong urge to create a, a new sense of collective self um, as, as uh, independent states. Yeah, this is a, a very difficult problem that is that, that the, each individual country solves in a different way so that it's, uh, I, I can't go into uh, a great deal of detail here as my, my main interests are or, or also my linguistic capabilities are confined to uh, to the Czech Republic and to a certain extent to to Poland so that I can't really uh, talk about uh, the, the developments in, in Ukraine or, or Georgia or, or any of these places with, with any authority. Um, uh, there, there's a definite tendency though to um, uh, it's, 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 it's a difficult process in all these countries because they are split between populism in both in political and in aesthetic terms you could say and between a more open approach to to things and also a, a more openness a greater openness right. towards western culture because i mean they really saw the downside of of modernism uh or modernity with with mm -hmm. stalin and the soviet union Yes, you could say that, but the, the, the result was there, there have been really, there have been sociological demographic studies done of this and basically they retain the, this, this autocratic uh, mindset. This is one of the right. sociological problems of, of, of in particular in, in Russia that uh, Putin is, is actively supported, I think, by a majority of the population for these reasons. So do you see that as, as something that is older than the than the modern uh, the modernity that they encountered as the authoritarian communist state, uh, or is it something that was created by that? That's 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 a, that's very hard to answer because there's been it's it's such it's it's been so continuous that uh, mm. there there's never really been a civil society in Russia. Were only very for very very short periods, if at all, and uh, for that reason, there's a, a this, this sort of uh, autocratic, uh, anti-democratic mindset has was always there and is is very difficult to get rid of. So, any more questions or um, pressing issues, Lena? No, I'm good. You're it's good. Interesting, very, uh, very nice conversation. Thank you.
Yes. yes, very nice conversation here too. I was, uh, so I'll try to take a look at, uh, at, at one of your books and see what's going on there. And uh, yeah. Yeah, one, one thing that always interests me and I never had the chance is like what, what happens when uh, there are like uh, proponents of different uh, uh, systems of thought you know, dealing with post-postmodernism, say metamodernism, performatism, integral, and a couple of mm. uh, uh, de developmental psychologists, bringing them all to a table and trying to hash out, you know, okay, what are we talking about actually? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it seems to me that uh, all these views are kind of grand and, and holistic, and but at the same time have like a very particular approach to a certain kind of phenomena phenomenon and so like what okay but what are we actually talking about you know is it a cultural phase is a is it just like a theory about art is it is it a developmental stage is it a cultural stage is it a movement you know all these lingering open questions uh, if we deal with okay what is what comes after postmodernism you know and so there's like if you have different proponents of of different uh, 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 schools that would be interesting to see okay is there maybe a meta-narrative that can be constructed or uh, experienced uh, if if we bring all these different perspectives to one table you know you, you know what i'm saying it's like that yes. th that yeah. would be like very interesting to me too yeah this is one general problem is that there is there's there's no discourse about post-postmodernism in other words there are many different approaches and uh, there is but the, there is no sort of overarching discussion of of what, of what is going on so that um, uh, I tend to usually have contact with the literary scholars and uh, don't get into much contact with the, the integral people or with uh, with uh, psychology um, so so it would indeed be interesting to get that kind of discourse uh, going but at the present moment in, in academia it's very difficult right I mean, and at the same time, uh, postmodernism faces the same problem because uh, depends on, on who you're asking. Postmodernism is this and then postmodernism is that. And, you know, then it's like, a, you know, there's no, I mean, like we can agree on, on certain characteristics like irony or skepticism yeah. against all, but this doesn't say nothing, basically. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like still, still, at this point, nobody knows exactly what postmodernism is because there's no overarching consensus about it. You know, it's like. But uh, that's uh, unfortunately that's fairly normal, right? right. The, the same thing if you you can apply it to romanticism, you can apply it that you have the same the the exact same. Uh, excuse me, you have the exact same um, uh, problems with uh, romanticism uh, to a certain extent with realism that uh, depending on who you are and depending on what sources you use, you'll come to very different conclusions. I right. think that's something that, at least as a scholar, that is something that I'm used to, that right. really uh, surprised me that there is, is no uh, consensus. But uh, I think that it, what you can actually do is, is what, what you suggested. You can agree on certain very basic things such as irony, such as this critique of grand narratives, right. there are a few things that, that everybody really does agree on and that uh, use that as, as, as a starting point, right. at least as, a, as, as common ground for, for discussion. Right. 
So, but you think there there could be uh, like uh, a common ground be found between different proponents of post postmodern schools, or is there is is there something to discover, or is uh, or, or like a common denominator, or or isn't? Um, yes, I, I, I would think so. It's it's hard to say if there's there's you know one common denominator, but uh, I've tried to to find a common denominator or common denominators with, within literary scholarship, and you can actually do it, it's, it's possible. Um, I, I haven't ventured any farther than that simply because it's, it's, uh, it's a bit too, too far outside my field, but uh, my tendency would be to think that it, that it is uh, uh, possible, at least, at least partially possible. Right. So I'm optimistic in that. So that we, by, I mean, like the, the problem probably is that we're still in that phase and, and the historians and the, the philosophers, you know, really are able to paint a bigger picture if we all already have left that kind of cultural phase or, or whatever it is. So yeah. we're still in the midst of it. And so it's like very hard to hash out where, you know, the threats between metamodernism performatism, digimodernism, transmodernism, integral, where, where all these interconnecting threats are really are so that we can maybe say, you know, like in, in postmodernity when it's about irony and critique and skepticism that, you know, that post-postmodern stage is yeah, about, about what is it? You know, what, what is that, you know, and, and for lack of a better word, what is the essence of yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Now this is uh, this this is in, in fact a problem. And when you're in something, in something that it's it's hard to it, it's hard to tell what's going on. Um, uh, that's uh, this, this is quite true of anything. Right. It's an ongoing process. Um, like I said, I'm always looking. I'm always. I think Lena said, you know, is this going to is something new coming? Is something is this going to end? And I'm always kind of looking for that. Um, at some point it will happen, uh, but it's, it's once you have this mindset, whatever it is, whether it's postmodernist, modernist, or, or, or post-postmodernism, it, it's, it's, it's very hard to get out of this mindset. Mm. Mm. Right. So, yes. Okay. I, I think. Mm. No, but you know, like uh, maybe maybe the last question, if if nobody else uh, asks, but you know, it's like when when I look at the, especially like the the early forms of metamodernism or integral, it's like it's it's like a lot about oscillating between previous eras or epochs or paradigms or stages of development, and so it's like you you find a middle ground between oscillating between the modernist project and the the postmodern project, and that is then defined as you know the the integral or the metamodernist stage so but i always have the feeling okay yeah that that may be true but there's also something more right some some like like with an emergence emergence doesn't really only happen with integrating what comes before but also creating something new that it's not necessarily understandable by the elements which created it in the first place so emergence yeah. is always yeah. always there's always a new information it's not just oscillating between yeah. what came before and so i think like okay what you know maybe it's it's a new understanding of of beauty and uh yeah. transcendence yeah. you know yeah. so, so maybe maybe like this i mean 
the, the, the one of the final stages of of of, of the Keegan Robert Keegan model of development actually is it self-transcendent, Lena? Is is that the actual self-transforming? Self-transforming, self yes. So, um, but there's also like some. But you could also, I mean, I when when uh, I wrote the the Nordic Secret, I mean, I I kept writing it wrong, and because it 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 made more sense to call it self-transcending. Right. Uh, so I had to go back and uh, actually check what we right. had been writing. <laughs> um, so yeah, so self-transforming, self-transcending. Right. Um, and I think what what we're experiencing now is that I mean there is this hunger for a meaning and depth, uh, which we could not have in the postmodern era. Um, it, I mean, you were not allowed to actually feel something really genuine, um, and you always had to distance yourself from it. And and you can't live like that. I mean, you you can you can have it as a coping mechanism, but but it's not it's not a life. And I I think that is where we're where we're heading. And it's also why we see populism, um, and, and people are reacting to this sort of self distancing. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, um, I once more agree <laughs> that this is a, <laughs> um, this is the direction we're heading and that it's, it's very difficult, uh, even in, during the time of postmodernism, I'm not really sure that very many people actually lived this kind of disillusioned life that was being propagated in, in high culture and in philosoph in philosophy and in, in obviously also in the, the halls of major universities. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, that was a really, uh, really a, a viable, a viable lifestyle even then. No, but it does, I mean, it does do something to culture when you cannot be sincere. And, and, and when, I mean, of course, you're sincere in your relationships and your personal relationships and you, uh, you can expect you can experience it in your life and you can have, you know, intimate relationships and you can have all these things. And as you say, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it did not, you know, define everyday life and the way that we actually lived our lives. But if the acceptable discourse, if the uh, culture, the pop culture, all the, and even the arts tell us that, um, nothing matters it is really hard to have at least in the public sphere a meaningful di discussion or debate um, and to stand up for something that really means something to you or to others yeah this um, is yeah, yeah. so 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 at the collective level uh, so maybe at the individual level we have had the sincerity but at the collective level it has been it's been very hard to uh, to you know take things seriously and and here we are and you know we got people who know nothing about science just deconstructing or thing I mean yeah. rejecting yeah. Uh, science um, and and just taking it apart from an ill-informed place. 
Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, once more, <laughs> I completely agree. So we must be right <laughs> since we keep agreeing. That's, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. I think, uh, I think we have it for today. Yes. That's, yes. Uh, Professor Eshelman, thank you very much that you took the time and uh, for this lecture and and for this for this talk, uh, it's my pleasure. Yes. <laughs>